Hi, this is Marina Sirtis, and you're listening to Retrek. Welcome to Retrek. I'm Dr. Squee. First of all, you may be wondering where your usual hosts of James and Elliot are. Now, first of all, everything's okay now, or getting there at least, but James was taken very ill. Uh, he had a massive organ failure and was taken to hospital where he had to go into a medically induced coma. He's since had a barrage of tests and uh, restorative things done to him uh, or for him by the uh, excellent doctors and nurses at the hospital and he's now starting to come round slowly but surely. It's going to be a long road to recovery but we intend to keep Retrek flying in the meantime. Obviously Elliot is James's brother so he's been uh, at his bedside and really any moment he isn't working he's there as is uh, James's wife Chloe so we send our best uh, to them. But uh, that meant that obviously Elliot wasn't able to do Retrek. So I've agreed to stand in as a member of the Retrek family and uh, what we're going to be doing is, is a few special shows. So this week we're going to be uh, talking to the director and uh, to Marina Sirtis, obviously a counsellor Troy from Star Trek, about the new play that they're doing which is The Dark Sublime. So we caught up with Andrew at Sci-Fi Ball which is uh, the event we went to where we spoke to Robert Duncan McNeil and uh, we we talked to him about the play and what it's about, the themes. So the play is about a, a woman who's in a 70s sci-fi show and her life now going to conventions. And uh, that's all though just dressing for a wonderful story about love, loss and friendship. It sounds like an amazing show. It's a limited run up in London. In the interviews you'll hear exactly how you can book your tickets now and you want to go along and see it. And after that we speak to Marina Sirtis herself. So uh, we did a link up with her uh, the other night and spoke to her uh, about the play and a little bit about Star Trek. Uh, we spoke a little bit about uh, how women can be treated after they've been in a uh, science fiction show and about kind of uh, work for women who uh, are past the age of 20, shall we say. And uh, there was some really interesting stuff. We also talked about the legacy of Star Trek and how it's just got better in the way it serves women and how we hope it's going to continue to improve. So there's a lot of interesting stuff in there. Interestingly enough, this is coming out the same week as International Women's Day this Friday. So this is kind of our tribute to that at the same time, I guess. So we hope you enjoy all this. Uh, and then next week we're going to do a special show where we catch up on episodes of Discovery 
since James and Elliot last did an episode. We're, we're very sorry we couldn't get an episode up for last week. We did try our best, but we had a few technical errors and we were doing it very last minute to try and get that in place in time. So uh, obviously, again, we wish all our best for a speedy recovery to James. He's going to be back with you soon, but it's going to be a little bit of a road to recovery. In the meantime, we're going to keep the good ship retrek flying. But for this week, please enjoy uh, our interviews with Andrew and Marina about the Dark Sublime. Enjoy. Andrew, Keats in front of the microphone for a change. Yeah, so this is strange, isn't it? Because you know me from, interesting, my, uh, my, my voluntary position Yeah. Uh, at the Sci-Fi Ball. And I suppose that's, before I sort of talk about Dark Sublime, in many ways, Dark Sublime would never have happened if it wasn't for this event. Um, I was at Sci-Fi Ball 2 yeah. as a 10-year-old. 10-year-old, fat gay kid uh, who didn't really see anyone like himself on television because gay people were only on television when there was an issue or they were dying of AIDS. Um, you know, or coming out and, yeah. or being, you know, uh, well, to be honest with you, the coming out stories also weren't, weren't particularly interesting because people yeah. just didn't like seeing gay characters. You know, people would spit their dinner out when they came on. Or if they did come on, they were comedic. And then some, yeah. you know, queer folk and things came along and changed all of that. Um, so as a, you know, as a young kid with a single parent growing up on a council estate, um, I, I felt very lonely in the world. And as a lot of children do when they're hurting, and I was, um, you seek out role models in poetry and in books and in plays in particular for me, um, and of course in science fiction. I really liked the idea of us coming together and finding the best in each other. I loved that about Star Trek, but then I loved that there were great theatre actors in classic series of Doctor Who. Anyway, long story short, I discovered, uh, my mother discovered, uh, there was a, um, a wonderful group of uh, sci-fi enthusiasts that uh, all went to Bournemouth University and they had a science fiction, uh, science fiction society called the USS Excalibur. And I went along as a kid. My mum was working every hour, God God's sent. You know, she was a single parent mum. And I would go and meet up with these crazy people, Anne Lindup, uh, Brett Jones, Paul Rouse, James Ash, um, and everybody else who is still with us to this day, 25 years on. But as a kid who um, was a bit of a dreamer, what was extraordinary was I was growing up these very educated very kind, uh, very smart people like Annie Lindup and, and Brett Jones. Brett Jones is a big figure in my life. I looked up to Brett as a real sort of father figure in many, many ways, and we've discussed this at length, as our friendship still continues. But I also, all of these heroes that I was watching on these TV shows were coming to the ball or coming to Excalibur events. Um, which is why I'm not particularly phased by actors now, because I've kind of met all the people, you know, I was meeting very famous people, very important people to me from the television or theatre or film or wherever, when I was a boy, you yeah. know. And to link this to Dark Sublime, from being at the sci-fi ball as a boy, uh, I grew up, became a teenager, uh, came out, um, and then, long story short, I ended up at drama school. And obviously I had to leave the ball behind, leave Bournemouth behind, what was really exciting about all of that is, uh, obviously I went off, 
trained at two of the best drama schools uh, in Europe and, and disappeared, you know, and left Bournemouth behind. And then it was only years later I reconnected with Brett, Brett Jones and Annie Lindup, and it occurred to me that they'd given so much to me growing up as role models and as, as just adults who listened. I think that's the thing that's that huge. as kids, you know, lots of adults will talk at a kid, but not many listen and give them responsibility like I had. And when you're a kid who's been bullied, I, I know from personal yeah. experience, that's something which Annie, being listened to means even more. Yeah, I mean, I, I've always said, you know, Annie used to tell me off and Brett used to make me laugh. You know, that was always <laughs> my memory as a kid. Um, but I was never patronised, you know, and if there was a joke, I was in on the joke. But what was amazing is I was very fortunate and I've been very lucky and I've worked really hard to now have a career, you know, directing shows in the West End. I've run my own theatre for three years. I've got my own production company. And a lot of my heroes and a lot of the very current actors as well are people that I socialise with and are people that I know. And I was given so much as a lad growing up. What was lovely is now to come back as a man in his 30s um, to reconnect with my you know, sci-fi family, as it were, but also to be able to give something back. You know, to phone you know Annie or B and say I've just bumped into such and such at the Ivy Club, or I'm just doing this play with this person, uh, Dino Fesher, for example, who's here. I directed in the West End a few years back. The moment he was cast in Humans, he got you know, can we meet up for a beer, Dino? I've got this event called Sci-Fi, called the Sci-Fi Ball. Can I get you along? Um, and not only that, I we have a WhatsApp group as as organisers, um, and I don't think a day goes by where we are not doing something for the sci-fi ball. Probably, we'll probably get maybe a week or two off after this just to sleep. And then we'll, when we're already working on the next one. But that whole story is important to Dark Sublime. I uh, was in Birmingham looking after various people from Star Trek and I'm working in my various other guises and other roles. And all of a sudden I heard this very uh, noisy woman at the bar going, it's Marina. Certis, M-A-R-I. I turned around, it was Marina. Um, and I was with my friend Dominic Keating, who is a very, very good mate. Yep. And uh, Dominic went, oh, Marina, come over. And obviously there was this, you know, they know each other. Hello, Marina, who are you? <laughs> I said, I'm Andrew. I said, I'm involved with the sci-fi ball. Oh, I love the sci-fi ball. Send my love to Annie. Send my love to Brett. Um, we got a light. I said, yes, I have. I was like, do you smoke? Anyway, we had, we had a couple of cigarettes. And we just got like a house on fire. And long story short, we talked, uh, and I said, why, why have you done anything on stage over here? And I saw a shift in Marina, and she said, I'd love to. I've never, never, never worked in the West End. Uh, and she said, Dawny, that's Michael Dawn, uh, Dawny always said to me, the biggest mistake I ever made was I, I didn't come home after doing the Star Trek show. Um, and that was when I was, I was talking to Marina, the actor. Um, who is very happy, don't tell me, I'm not saying yeah. she's, she's sat at home with a cat rocking, you know, she's very, <laughs> very, very happy. Um, but she's an actor fundamentally, she's not Councillor Troy, she's Marina Sirtis, the very talented, young, vibrant actor. And I said, well, I'll tell you what, if I find something, would you come to London and do it? And she said, yes, absolutely. So we were playing with ideas. Cut ahead, it's my birthday. Uh, I'm in Cafe Coa, which is a fabulous little industry bar in the West End. And Mark Gatiss hobbled sort of down the steps um, with a card for me. I said, you all right? And he said, I just want you to know. 
in quite a lot of pain. I appear to have slipped on some ice. Um, but handed me the card and I said, well, please go. Go and get, you know, go and rest up. You, know, you don't <laughs> want to be at a party when your back's killing you. He said, I've just read this wonderful play by a friend of mine, Michael Dennis, and it's called Dark Sublime. Um, I said, all right. He said, it's about a young lad from Bournemouth involved in science fiction connections who has a podcast who's gay. Uh, and I went, I can see why you thought of me. I was um, going to say, what connections get, did he draw Every here? single I one of those I things. I can't see anything. But then the thing that really excited me, because I don't tend to put on work that really has anything to do with my life, it's more about empathy for people who are not on yeah. the stage. Um, then uh, he said, it's about an ageing 1970s British sci-fi actor and a friendship with a fan. And that's when I was really interested. My... Uh, Mark sent it to me via Michael's agent. I read it, and it just, oh, it made me laugh within the first page. Um, there are moments in it that are just so true to the extraordinary memories I have, both of, you know, some of the most famous science fiction actors there are in the world connected to sci-fi, and them being very open with me about things that they've struggled with, in particular being forgotten, as in being a big actor in the 1980s and 90s was lovely, but some haven't worked to this day. And that's yeah. hard, you know. Um, but then they'll come to a convention, they'll be treated like rock stars. And they're two very sort of polar opposites. Um, and there's a lot in it that I really connect with about my young self, my, the kid that came to this, this, this event, about how science fiction was an important escape for me. Anyway... To cut to the chase. Uh, so I've seen Marina before. I've said this wonderful play. Um, I sent it to Marina. Of course I sent it to Marina. The character of Marianne, the lead, um, has got a wicked sense of humour. She can be quite difficult sometimes. Um, there is a sadness to her and there is an extraordinary warmth to her as well. She's a really complex character. And she's, you know, she smokes and she swears a bit. And but enough about Marina. Enough about, about Marina. Well, it's, again, <laughs> I just told you the young, the young lad is, you know, Bournemouth gay and, and sci-fi and got a podcast and whatever. And I've got to be honest with you, the character of Marianne is, 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 is like Marina. Anyway, my phone went. She'd obviously read it. Um, and so trigger warning to anybody uh, that doesn't like swearing. Marina did not say, hi, Andrew. Uh, the phone went and all I heard was, well, it's my f***ing life. <laughs> And I went, I went, yeah, it is, isn't it? And she went, I mean, did he write it for me? I said, no, he didn't. I said, but I think this is the most perfect casting of your entire career. And she went, well, it's the first time I'm not going to have to do any research. Um, yeah, it's, that's freaky how much... She was so affected. It's okay. serendipity. It's almost serendipity from going to the Excalibur. It's like from the moment I arrived in that car park and met these guys, my experience and my understanding of the sincerity and the... Troubles and the the, the, the you know, both the highs and the lows of these kinds of events, of the kinds of special guests that we get, of the attendees we have. But what I love about Dark Sublime is the same insight that I have that perhaps the rest of the big wide world outside of the Grand Harbour Hotel has, which is, you know, science fiction fans are not freaks. You know, there is a sincerity to them. There is a dynamism to them. There is a sharp intelligence to them. There is... Uh, there can sometimes be very dark, very difficult parts to them which actually coming together at an event like this or meeting their heroes can actually heal great wounds. 
And and Dark Sublime looks at that, and, and I think Mark was smart enough to go, you're the right guy to look at it. Michael Dennis, the playwright who wrote Dark Sublime, uh, when we sat down to talk about the play, you know, the first thing he said is, what do you think of it? I said, I think it's the most wonderful story of love, loss and friendship. And he looked at me and he said, I thought you were going to say it's a great story about trans black beings. I'm so happy to hear you say that. And I think on top of that, um, the play addresses... Um, the difficulties that come with intergenerational gaps. I've got friends like Terry Malloy, for example, who is <clears throat> however old he is, but he's a little bit older than me, yeah. um, to Brett and Annie, who are older, but that doesn't mean to say that because I'm younger or they're older that our opinions are any more valid. It's just respect. And what I love about this play is it looks at intergenerational gaps, which I've had my whole life, um, but it also looks at uh, aspects of the LGBT community, in particular women in the LGBT community, finding relationships at later life. And there's a very beautiful sort of second plot that goes on, which I can't talk about, as you can appreciate, because yeah. the play's not published yet. Um, there's a second plot which I just think is so beautiful. And with all of the theatre work that I do, you know, I, I have very little interest in telling stories about, you know, popular culture. I'm far more interested in stories about people that perhaps for one reason or another, you know, perhaps the populace don't know their story. And I think science fiction fans, um, I think I think let's tell a sincere, heartwarming and funny story. It's in one of the best venues, uh, a venue I've worked at before. I worked with Cynthia Revo there uh, in Dessa Rose. Um, and uh, Dino Fesher, who's here, um, as is, and Stevie Webb at the Trafalgar Studios. This has been my third show at Traf 2. Um, ticket sales are extraordinary. I've got people coming from South Korea, from Dallas, Texas. I've, I mean, it's just insane. All of the all of the world of people just coming together to hopefully have an authentic insight, not only into their world, but also into their heroes' worlds. Um, and I can't think of anyone more qualified than me, thanks to my relationship with the sci-fi ball. I really can't. Um, and I'm delighted to announce, um, we've only announced it recently, obviously it was Mark Gatiss who gave me the, um, the play to look at in the first place. Um, there is a rather zany 1970s computer called Costly, who is in the play. And I phoned Mark, I said, would you mind being a computer? You would, I'd be delighted to be a computer. Um, so I'm really looking forward to working with Mark rather than just our friendship um, and hopefully getting him into rehearsals, working with the actor that he will be working with. Because uh, obviously having a computer, a pre-recorded computer in a show is a very interesting thing. Uh, yeah. I've already started work with a composer. The composer has not been announced, I'm afraid, but the composer we are creating authentic radiophonic 1970s sounds, all the correct equipment, because obviously music is so vital to British sci-fi TV in the 70s. Uh, and Dark Sublime, why is it called Dark Sublime? Because the fictional show that uh, this character Marianne belonged to was called Dark Sublime. So I'm like a kid in a candy store working with my designer at the moment, creating you know, my perfect ray, ray gun inspired by the 1970s, the perfect uniforms. Um, and the, the last thing, the last thing I'll say on this, um, we have lots of ways to engage with the, the, the fan base and the audiences that I know haven't necessarily been pitched to other than let's do a Shakespeare play with an actor from Doctor Who. Um, we have an Indiegogo campaign which does search for Dark Sublime on Indiegogo, where you can have lunch with Marina Sirtis. 
you can come to the gala night, uh, you can have your name in the West End programme, and they're all perks for different, I can't remember the costs off the top of my head, but the more money I get from that, the more ray guns I can design, you know. Um, and lastly, uh, lastly, if people want tickets, go to atgtickets.com, uh, and we've got tickets starting from 25 quid, which is one of the cheapest tickets you'll get in the West End, and probably the show that I think will speak to people listening to this podcast more than anyone has ever done before, because it just comes from the heart, and it's really funny. And for my second question... Uh, no, oh, yeah. No, you, I'm not, yeah, I was going to say, edit whatever you want, I don't mind. <laughs> I, I can tell you're not very good at these interview things. No, uh, that, it's like you, I've said this before. <laughs> <laughs> you haven't given us the date yet, sir. Sure. So, it's currently... Um, well, what's great, my T-shirt tells me that's not very useful for a podcast, is it? It's from the 25th of June to the 3rd of August, uh, 2019. Um, there are matinees available on the Saturday and the Sunday, and then it plays Tuesday to Saturday evenings. Um, there are different price ticket bands, but the most important thing I have to stress, there are only 100 tickets available per performance, um, I we must have sold over a thousand tickets already, so you know, it, it it's not like a TV show where if you miss it you can catch up six months later. When it's gone, it's gone. And my as much as I love sci-fi TV and film, theatre is my my first love, and the reason for that is is to sit there essentially like you know watching Marina literally meters away from you, watching every bead of sweat that she's got, every tear in her eye. Almost like you're sat in her lounge. Which has a lady, she doesn't sweat. No, she, well, we she, well, she does occasionally. She did when I told her what her fee was. Um, <laughs> but what is lovely about it is it's live. And theatre's all about, about it being live. It's not about sitting at home. And I'm asking geeks to get out of the duvet, come to the West End, treat yourself, go to the Science Museum, go to the Natural History Museum and come and see Marina Sirtis in a play that is just perfect for her. And if I might add, like, mm. if people want to see more of this and if they want to see perhaps even future iterations of this play, then this is the way to make that happen, is both to, to buy tickets for this. The sure. more people see something work, the more it happens. Well, look, the, 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 thing people, you, the thing you're alluding to is, you know, what's going to happen to it afterwards. Um, what I can tell you now is Marina Sirtis is contracted for those six weeks. She has no contract afterwards, no contract before. So to guarantee to see this brand new play by a brand new extraordinary playwright, this is his first play, Michael Dennis, um, is actually a company manager uh, with various very big theatres like the Hampstead Theatre. Um, you know, six weeks, 100 tickets, seven shows a week. Um, you know, the Sci-Fi Ball is fantastic because it really is a unique event. I don't know of a play that has ever had the subject matter and the... And I've got another five actors to announce. You know, I haven't announced the other five actors yet. And I can tell you that who's going to... The people we're in discussions with are insane. So, if you, you know, to guarantee tickets to it, just book. Because it's like our full weekend dining passes. They fly off the shelf with us. Um, it's going to be a remarkable time. And London's the greatest city in the world. And I've got to say, as, like, as, a, as a local boy from Southampton here, yeah. to, to have you know, Bournemouth, you know, our, our neighbouring uh, county yeah. kind of, uh, of Dorset highlighted is just wonderful. So thank you for everything you do, oh. sir. You're, you're always a pleasure to talk to and to... Uh, help us with things like this and to put on something like this which is for all us fans is just amazing sure so, yeah. well you know the ball is by fans for fans you know and, and that's that's why I don't work with any other any other event other than the sci-fi ball and I probably never will you know because it's it's more than a it's more than renting a hotel it's it's sort of become a bit of a way of life and I love it
Sorry, can I quickly just because you, mm. your ten year old self, like I saw the picture the other day. What were you dressed as? Because I, I was. Ah, oh man, that's funny you say. So there's lots of pictures. Brett Jones delights in um, going through the thousands upon thousands of photographs that we have through our archives, and Brett Jones does delight in finding pictures of me looking like an absolute knob um, but what was I dressed as if you look very carefully I'm wearing a Star Trek the Undiscovered Country t-shirt because okay. let's my favourite Star Trek is actually the the, the, the Bill Shatner and Leonard Nimoy films that, that, that's my favourite bit of Star Trek yeah. um, but uh, uh, it's an Undiscovered Country t-shirt with a company which I don't know if they exist anymore I don't think they do called Warp One who back in the day when of course you couldn't get licensed costumes you had to have them made yeah. Um, and they did these fantastic sort of Star Trek inspired waistcoats. Um, and I think I've got a bowl haircut. Uh, I'm fat as you like. Uh, and I still thought I was the coolest kid in town. And I'm holding a batleth. I'm holding a batleth, which I think I bought from a, uh, a dealer called the United Federation of Planets, I think was the name, or UFP, I think they called themselves. Um, and the man I'm talking to is George Marshall, who I don't know what ever happened to him. I, I was thinking of another photo, actually. I was thinking of Adric. Oh, when I was Adric. That's not the sci-fi ball. That's not the sci-fi ball. It's because it came up in the sci-fi ball thing. Uh, no, it did, because that's Excalibur. So ah, Excalibur was the society okay. where then Anne, Annie Lindup turned around and said, oh, let's have a science fiction convention. How hard can it be? Here we are 25 years later. But no, um, that was the Excalibur. Oh, and that was, that was what spawned sci-fi ball. Then. Yeah, that, that's when I was getting closer to being a teenager and, and developing acne, which is why I'm, I, I, I sort of wince when I see it a bit. Um, there's, lots of, there's, lots, there's so many pictures out there. There are pictures out there. I've never seen there. an Adric before. That's why that one... Well, I went with Adric because he was an absolute loser, and that's sort of what I thought of myself at the time, you know. Although Brett came as the master, which, which I thought was absolutely perfect. And we had the console from um, the Who Shop, which um, Alex... Lentis, who, who ran it, which is from the stage production that they did, some of the stage productions they did of Doctor Who. Um, yeah, we did all sorts. We did Edith Hot Mum, and I ended up being suspended for about five hours in the most unpainful harness of my life uh, on a float going through, through Bournemouth. But we did that just to find other geeks. We didn't really have the internet then, you know. Um, but yeah, I mean, I had an extraordinary childhood, mainly because of the people who, who run this event. Amazing, sir. Thank you so much. It's Thank my pleasure. Hello. Hello, Marina. Hi. Yeah, waiting for me to come online. You'll have a long wait because uh, <laughs> I, I, I hate my phone. I'm <laughs> one of those people. <laughs> no, my phone, I... my phone is in my 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 phone is in my bag, and unless I'm about to use it, that's where it stays. You see, what I'm doing is I'm tripping over protocol here because when I messaged you, okay. when I was messaging with the person setting it up. I said, oh, I'll send Marina right. a message just saying uh, that I've got a sort of added. And they said, oh, no, don't right. don't send her anything. She'll send you at the time. And then I'd already sent you a message. So I was like trying to wait oh, this okay. time. Oh, OK. All right. All right. Yeah, because I think they figured out that I'm a total Luddite and I hate <laughs> technology. <laughs> and and I'm the, don't expect... Don't expect a, a quick response to any email you send me. Let me. Let's just leave it at that. Not a problem. I, oh God! And I bet you get loads of really hilarious jokes about that. You know what? I'm. I've actually. I get told off. Well, <laughs> you know, yeah, because I was on Star Trek and I hate exactly. technology. Of yeah. course, yeah, that's a big joke. But yeah. no, I get. They tell me off. <laughs> Lavar Burton tells me <laughs> off, and he's like, Marina. You never respond to your emails promptly and you don't respond to your texts. And, uh, you know, come on, you, this is the 21st century. And I'm like, excuse me, your majesty. <laughs> I'm like, 
as a human being on this planet, do I not have the right to live my life the way I want to live it and not the way you expect me to live it? Here, here. Right? Yeah, definitely. Just because everyone else has got their phones super glued, super glued to their right ear hole doesn't mean that I have to. And I hate it. I really hate it. I swear to God, I'm turning into this old curmudgeon <laughs> that walks that walks down the street constantly saying, look where you're going, <laughs> at people who've got their noses stuck in their phones. <laughs> well, I, I had heard you weren't shy of your opinion. Well, no, I, I, I actually know. Uh, that's... Which isn't a bad thing. That, that I'm, and, I'm, and I'm getting worse with age because, you know, when you're young, people go, oh, she's just such a bitch, right? But when you get old, they go, oh, she's, ex she's, don't, she's eccentric. <laughs> she's just eccentric. So well, you, actually, you actually improve with age in, in people's opinions, even though you're, you're getting worse. <laughs> well, Terry Farrell, uh, the sci-fi bull, which uh, I've seen you've just been kind of signed up to now, uh, she, a couple of years ago, was uh, doing one of the panels and someone was stammering over a question. She said, right, if you were, if Marina was in front of you right now, you'd already be in the shit right now. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes, Terry. You know, unfortunately, my whole Star Trek family know me too well. And because uh, most of them have been on the receiving end of it at some point. So, <laughs> so I'm very, uh, I'm very socialist with my, um, with my abuse. It goes to everyone, including my family and, uh, and anyone, and anyone else who incurs my wrath so yeah well nothing wrong with that um before we start would you mind just uh that the person who usually kind of leads our podcast uh james is actually in hospital at the moment oh I, I, he was okay actually, well it's yeah uh, he was actually rushed into hospital in massive organ failure and he's just sort of coming, oh lord yeah yeah he's just coming around from a medically induced coma at the moment looks like it's going to be okay but i was just wondering if you might be able to just uh do a quick get Wish well yeah, 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 okay, yeah, yeah, okay. Hey, James, it's Marina Sirtis. Sorry to hear about your medical problems and issues. Um, I I understand, though, that the um, the prognosis is looking good and that things are looking up, and I just wish you all the best and get well soon. Thank you so much. That's wonderful of you to do. To begin with, have you got a history, like, because we're obviously we're here to talk about the Ducks Plan tonight. Have you got a, a history right. of working in the theatre? What's your kind of theatre background? Yes. Well, yes, because see, you haven't done your research. Well, theatre is so hard to find information on, I find. I like, know, it is true. But yeah, it, I know, it so, is true from like 100 years ago, especially. Um, no, I did. I actually, I, <laughs> and I know it's a long time ago. I went to the Guildhall uh, back in the days um, when it wasn't even at the Barbican. Um, I, my year at the Guildhall when I left was the last year at John Carpenter Street, and then the year I left, they went to the Barbican. And so you, I was, I was a classically trained actress, and you know the route into the business um, back then was the theatre, and that's what you did, and that's how you got your equity card, because of course that doesn't matter anymore, which is which stinks. Don't get me started on not having to be a member of equity. Um, but yeah, so getting your equity card was of paramount importance, otherwise you couldn't work. And so the theatre was the way to get it. And most people got it through, you know, acting ASMing or, you know, going in uh, on a very low level. I was really fortunate as I got a job before I'd finished at Guildhall um, down at Worthing, what used to be the Connaught Theatre. I don't know if it still is. 
but yeah, so that was my that was my first job. I did a season down in Worthing, and then I did a telly. But mainly, I did regional theatre. Um, I only ever was in the West End once. I was understudy to Emma Williams in the original production of Privates on Parade. Yeah. Um, all my other theatre work was in the provinces, and I did I did everything. I did, you know, from Not Now Darling to The Hunchback of Notre Dame, you know, because that's what you do as a as an English actor. You do everything. And if, you know, if, if the theatre's doing a, a musical in the season that you're there, you're in the musical. And, um, yeah, so in, uh, basically for 11 years before I came to L.A., I did mainly theatre. Yeah. And, and was it difficult then transitioning to TV or is it kind of just acting? No, no, it's very different. Oh, no, it's uh, very different. I mean, um, when I first got Star Trek, uh, I had, I mean, I'd done TV in England, um, much less pressure doing TV in England as opposed to doing a series in the United States. Um, I mean, like I did uh, Up the Elephant with Jim Davidson. Yeah. Yeah, I was in an episode of that. And, you know, I'm still friends with Jim because of it, because I swear to God, I don't know how I got a line out without laughing because he's so hysterically funny. I mean, whatever you think of his politics, the guy's, uh, you know, a riot. So um, anyway, so, yeah, I was a theatre actress. That's what I did. And then, of course, I come to L.A. and um, I realised that uh, theatre's not really respected in this city. Yeah. Um, they think you're doing a play um, because you can't get a movie or a TV series. Generally, right. okay, I'm 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 generalising madly here. That I have friends who have fantastic theatre companies who do excellent quality work, and they do it because they love it, um, and they love the theatre, and and yeah, the work is fantastic, but. I've been an actress for 42 years and I'm I'm sorry but I'm not going to work for $9 a night. Yeah. I think I've earned the right to earn a a a, a, a proper salary if I'm doing theater and in Los Angeles you're not. You get your petrol money basically. So it was hard um, to be a theater actress over there. It's well, you know, that's why every contract in America or not in every, in every contract in L.A. in these theatres has a clause that says if you get a telly, then you can, you know, we'll let you go do it because we realise we're not paying you. Yeah. I mean, it's so different. So I, I kind of dug my heels in and said, I'm not doing theatre in Los Angeles. Uh, but I have done I've done two plays here. I've done Loot in um, Hartford, Connecticut, and I've done uh, a Neil Simon. I premiered a thing called Hotel Suite in Philadelphia for Neil Simon. Yeah. And I mean, how did it all come about with Dark Sublime then? How, how did you first? I've heard, I've heard uh, Andrew Keats's version of it, which we're going to have his oh, have uh, interview alongside this. Okay, well, let's this. compare. Oh, okay, well, let's compare. Let's contrast and compare, shall we? Um, we I met Andrew at Destination Star Trek the year before last. Yep. He came up with Dominic and um, we got on, just got on really well. And uh, we were talking and we kept in touch and after the convention and Andrew said, um, I would really, why don't we do something together? Let's find something we can do together. Um, 
and originally it was going to be me and Gates together, but then we thought that probably wasn't going to work because of um, work permit issues, right, right, in England. So just to not even deal with that, we just decided that it would probably just, it would be best just, you know, logistically for it to be, you know, just me because I'm English. Yeah. And so we, that kind of fell by the wayside. And then Andrew started trying to find things for us to do together. And it was literally one of the first things he sent me. And he said, um, he said, Mark Gattis gave me this. Have a read, see what you think. And I read it and I was like, okay, does Michael, has Michael Dennis been spying on me for the last 10 years? <laughs> Because I was like, uh, this is me. I mean, not just the fact that Marianne in the play is uh, a you know, middle-aged actress who used to be in a sci-fi show, but there are certain things about her personality which are me. And so I was just like, okay, I have to play this part because... I don't think anyone else on the planet is closer to this role than I am. Can you tell us anything about the kind of personality traits that, that really resonated with you? Well, it's little things like, um, oh, let me think, without giving too much away, obviously. Yeah, exactly, um, that's why I yeah. like that. She's, she can be, okay, um, she's, she's a really, uh, she's a nice person who, on, you know, on a dime, as they say, can turn into the most obnoxious creature on the planet. <laughs> and then her friends have to pick up the pieces. And kind of, that's kind of, <laughs> Michael Dawn is always saying to me, are we ever going to fly together, you know, to a convention without you getting into a fight with another passenger? <laughs> <laughs> and I said, and I always say, probably not. <laughs> and so there's things, there's things like that in there. I mean, not that that's a conversation that she has, obviously, but like that kind of thing, we're so similar. I mean, so on one hand, there's a part of me that's like, okay, this is, this is a bit, you know, eerie. But then there are, there are enough differences that people aren't going to say it's autobiographical. Do you know what I mean? So, yeah. Um, but yeah. Because it's not, because it's not autobiographical at all. But um, as far as her personality goes, there are a lot of similarities. Well, I mean, the thing which struck me, which uh, when... Uh, so, Andrew, wait one second. Oh, Does that compare with what Andrew said about how it got started? Well, there was a few more impressions of you and other people in uh, Andrew's version, as he is slightly want to do, I think. But uh, apart from that... Oh, he was doing impressions. Similar. Okay, I don't... I don't do impressions. <laughs> no, no. There, there, there might have been one of you getting slightly um, displeased with a barman getting your name wrong and uh, one of Mark Gatiss delivering the script to him. Okay. All right. Is it, is it Gatiss? Because I know he gets upset if you say it wrong. Is it Gatiss or Gattis? It's um, Mark Gatiss. Gatiss. Right. Okay. Yeah. All right. I'm fairly sure now I'm questioning now I've heard both of them at the same time. Okay. <laughs> yeah, no, no. I, well, uh, Andrew was saying that apparently when he first met you, um, someone was, he heard your name coming across the room. 
saying something along the lines of, uh, it's Marina! And you had to spell it out for the bartender. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> don't even, don't, yeah, see, yeah, I'm horrible. I can be horrible. I really can. It's Anyway. Al- it's almost like Andrew's but got I, some I'm, sort I'm, of flair for the dramatic. Yeah, he does, obviously. Well, that's why he's in the theatre. Yeah, exactly. yeah. <laughs> Otherwise, he'd be a chartered accountant. So, yeah. yes. Well, the thing which I was just going to say is that uh, when uh, Andrew was talking about it, he was saying that it's uh, set in the 70s. And obviously, Next Gen was the 80s. Like, is there, what, right. what's the difference in similarities in feel? Well, I think, I mean, basically, that's, uh, I don't think it matters that no. it's a different decade at all. Um it just, you know, in the play, it just puts it kind of further back than mine was. Um, and of co- and Dark Sublime is, you know, was not, um, like TNG, a massive worldwide success, you know. So there's, there's that. That's a big difference, you know. And that's a big difference in who she is um, between me and her because... Um, I was in a successful show and she was not in a successful show. Do you know what I mean? And the yeah. consequences thereof, yeah. I mean, it does sound as well as a deeply personal and emotional journey of a, a show. Like, you know, Andrew was saying that the, the thing that can, can get missed in all the sci-fi is the heart behind it. Well, the thing is, to me, it's not about sci-fi. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's it's actually about relationships. If it was a sci-fi, if it was a sci-fi play I wouldn't do it yeah I wouldn't see the point of doing that no this is a play about relationships and that's why it's interesting and that's why it's uh emotional because um that's what that it to me is what is interesting is how people relate to each other why they do things why they say things you know how they behave in certain situations um that's what's interesting um it just happens that she i mean it could have been it's not but it could have been that she was in the soap opera yeah in the 70s do you know what i mean yeah, it just definitely. happens to be yeah it just happens to be that she was in a sci-fi show yeah, I mean, that's what it kind of feels like. I mean, don't, don't get, you know, it's, it, I think it's fun for us kind of like sci-fi fans to be able to have that dressing around it. But if you don't have a good story at the yeah. heart of it, you're not going to stay invested. Exactly, 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 yeah. I mean, people expecting to come and see a sci-fi play are going to be disappointed, <laughs> but hopefully, they won't, hopefully they'll like what we give them anyway, you know. Well, I mean, I think even Star Trek at its best when it's doing, you know, its best episodes are when it's about the emotional drama, not just about, you know, Space. Well, exactly. And that's and that's what Gene Roddenberry said. You know, Rod, Gene Roddenberry, whenever he talked about the show, would say, it's a people show. It's about the people. Yeah. You know, and it and it was. And, and the series that were successful were the series that had strong inter, inter-character relationships. Yeah. Which is why ours was the most successful. I mean, I'm going to blow my own trumpet here. Wait for it. Um, which was which was why ours was the, the most successful because out of all the shows, we are the only cast who are all seven of us are best friends over you know thirty years later. Yeah. You know we're the only cast, so that comes across on the screen, and I'm not just saying that you know, I'm because you know I'm, I'm making it up. People come up and say this to, to us. They say you know that. 
what we loved about TNG was the, was the chemistry between the characters, between the people. It came through the screen that you guys adored each other. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, you know, Andrew was saying that apparently Michael Dawn said to you post Star Trek, the mistake you made was not return to the UK. Yeah. And that, that seemed yeah. obviously, you know, that, that's an, an advice you give a friend, not someone you've just worked with. Exactly. I mean, yeah, we talked about this and he said, you know, Marina, you should have gone back to England when the show was done. Because you, you know, you would have because what he just thinks it would have it would have been much better for my career. And to be honest, the the Brits that did go back. Have had fantastic careers. It does. It does seem that. Yeah. I mean, not I'm not I'm not bitching and moaning. I, I, you know, I, I do great. I just happened to be, uh, you know, an actress in her 60s in Los Angeles, uh, where that's like uh, put her on the put her on the lorry and send her to the glue factory, you know, pretty much. Um, in England, I mean, it's 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 getting a bit dodgy, but we're not as ageist in England as they are over here. And I think just purely with the amount of roles written for women in their, you know that aren't 25 in the UK, there's just more work for older actresses, you know. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm watching Happy Valley again now, you know, right now. And uh, you just think, you know, it's, it's just more, it's just more real in England than it, in the UK than it is over here when it comes to what's on TV and what you're watching. And I think it's something we've woken up to. It's like not only just, uh, yeah, women, as you say, don't have a, a shelf date of 30 anymore. It, it, you know, it's, well, it's getting better anyway. And also, you well, know, yeah. there's less typecasting, I think, going on as well as, as we progress. Well, yeah, yeah. Um, which is, you know, it's all going in the right direction. Yeah. You know, it is all going in the right direction. So it's very encouraging. And listen, I started my career in the late 70s. It was a very different business, you know, very different. We've come a long way since then, and uh, all to the good. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's not per not perfect yet, but it's get it's it's definitely much much better. Something the producers, uh, one of the producers in one of the talks uh, about the Dark Spine at Sci-Fi Ball uh, this year, they mentioned that they were kind of very proud that, you know, uh, that it wasn't say just a woman in their twenties on the poster. You know, the, the, you're featured on the poster and you look amazing on it, uh, but it's thank uh, you. It does highlight something different. I think that's very important. Yeah, yeah. I mean, which is you know, hopefully, um, it, hopefully it won't put people off. I mean, listen, there are more old people than young people, aren't there? Because yeah. there are more, you know, there are <laughs> so <laughs> so young people only, you know, they're to, like till till they're like thirty or something. But no, but I'm just, I just think that. Um, we can change people's perceptions about what it is to be a certain age because there's no given rule. You know, I mean, I'm 64 at the end of the month. Actually, I'm 64 on Brexit day. Yay. <laughs> I'm 64 on March the 29th. It's like my birthday's on the day of the end of the world. Anyway, <laughs> um... I almost made a Brexit joke when you said there's far more old people than young. That proves it. <laughs> I know. I know. It's like the end of the world is happening on my birthday. Oh. Anyway, um, 
so anyway, yeah, so we can change, you know, it's no, there's no rhyme or reason. You can be, you know, people, I remember my, uh, you know, a friend saying to me that she, you know, as she got older, she felt invisible and, um, and she was gorgeous, you know, and I said, and I said to her, well, you should be like me. And she said, well, how's that? I said, you should dress inappropriately for your age. <laughs> she was like... <laughs> I said, and then people will still look, even if it's to mock you, you know. Yeah, I mean, even if you point to something like, like, I mean, I don't mean to keep on bringing back Star Trek, but like, there is a modern Star Trek show on, which now has, um, oh, sorry, uh, one of the characters is an older character. I'm trying to remember her name. The plays an admiral, and they've got. There just seems to be better representation for women and different ages, and you know, I think. Yeah. Like you said, they, there was starting to be some good work done when you were doing Next Gen, but it's kind of like you can just see the progression through Star Trek shows. Yeah, I mean, listen, you know, we weren't, we weren't, Gates and I weren't spring chickens when we were cast. We weren't starting out in the business. We were both seasoned actresses, you know, when we were cast in TNG. Um, Denise was a little younger, um, but, you know, they, they, you know, what, what I liked about, what I liked about Star Trek is that, listen, you know, yes, it was supposed to be it's set in the future. And, you know, we did, they did kind of push the envelope or like go up to the glass ceiling, whatever, whichever way you want to put it. Um, there was a progression, you know, there was a progression. There was like Nichelle was the first black woman to yeah. be a regular on the TV show, you know, on the bridge all the time. You know, she didn't have a lot to do very often, but she was there and it was because of Nichelle. I mean, Nichelle is like the queen, you know. I mean, because of Nichelle, it gave just, because it was the civil rights era, you know, we forget it wasn't that long ago um, that the civil rights era was happening in America. I mean, she represented hope to, to, to African-Americans. She, she was the embodiment of like what they were fighting for, you know? Um, so she was huge, you know, Nichelle was huge. And then we came along and, you know, we had two women important, at both like in the caring professions, because we did have a lady security chief, which was fantastic. But then, you know, obviously Denise left. Um, and then, you know, we finally get to a female captain. You know, we had um, we had Nanar being the number two on DS9. Then we, you know, finally got to a female captain. And now we've got, in Discovery, we've got a slew of females at the top of the tree. And, you know, it's, fan you know, it, although although we are a future, we're a futuristic show, you've got to think we're actually being written by human beings of the century that we're in. Yeah. And generally men. Yes, I was thinking that. Yeah, right. That, that comes in generally too. men. So the fact that they did what they did, actually, they deserve a lot of credit for. But, you know, TV is a reflection of society generally. So even if it's a sci-fi show, it's going to stick to certain basic fundamentals. Yeah. I mean, Michelle Yeoh, by the way, was the name I was trying to think of. Yeah. She... Yeah. She's fantastic. I thought that's that what I think that's what you meant. Yeah. Well, yeah. she was she was all over the Oscars as well last week, and she looks just amazing. I know it's not. Oh, about, she's, she's an amazing actor. She looks amazing, and yeah. uh, she's a child in the sixties herself. So she's a she's... lovely, lovely woman as well. 
Yeah, it, I mean, there was something which uh, some ladies I interviewed who were uh, stunt performers for DC, and they were saying yeah. they, they used a phrase which I love, which is "There's so many different ways to be sexy that, uh, that are being shown with women now," which I, I think yeah. is, is the sort of thing behind it. Uh, but yeah, yeah uh, you when while you're over in the UK, you're also uh, doing some conventions while you're over here. So I mentioned Sci-Fi Ball and also WalkCon, I believe it is. Well, um, I'm gonna do. I'm, this year, I'm doing Nottingham yeah. in May, and then I'm doing Doncaster at the oh, end Doncaster, of sorry, August. No yeah, yeah, yeah. And then early. I next can't year. remember what. I can't remember what the actual conventions are called. I just know which cities I'm going to. What's it like to be um, going around the UK again? Yeah. So yeah. Well, I'm going to be. Yeah. Well, it kind of all. It's all kind of fitting into place with the play you see so it's sure. all kind of working out quite nicely yeah yeah and uh for, for getting back to the play uh so this is a limited run you're doing it you know at the moment yeah it's, six it's weeks six weeks and it's only set for what it is there is no future plans as of yet for the play as of yet yeah i mean yeah let's get some bums on seats and see if exactly. they like it before yeah yeah I, I was mainly just to highlight the fact that people need to buy their tickets now yes Oh, yeah, yeah, they really do, actually, because um, apparently there are coach trips planned from certain places. <laughs> I just can't believe people are getting on coaches and coming to see me. I feel like I'm Tottenham Hotspur or something. Anyway, <laughs> um, anyway, it's all fantastic, um, very exciting, bit terrifying. But, um, yeah, get your tickets because, yeah, uh, it, it is. It's, I think it has to close on August the 3rd. So it's uh, London, if you go to LondonTheatreDirect.com and then just type in Dark Splime in the search bar, you will find uh, details of how to buy tickets, everyone. Uh, also, exactly. Mark, Mark Gatiss, who you mentioned before, has been announced as a computer. Yes, that's right. Very, he's very he's exciting. our he's our computer boy. He's our version of Hal. <laughs> <laughs> two thousand and one. Yeah. All yeah. I can picture is one of his um, uh, Royston Vasey characters coming in there. <laughs> <laughs> from, uh, oh, what's the name? Uh, from the League of Gentlemen, of course. That's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, it's great. Well, thank you very much for spending some time with us tonight, Marina. Well, thanks for calling, and we got we we managed to get through it without a single a single interruption. Woohoo! Hey, <laughs> you know you know why? It's because I was dissing technology at the beginning, and so technology decided to behave itself so that it you know so I would be proved wrong. Because you because technology does hate me. You know, <laughs> usually it will break down because they they know they know that you hate computers. Know you hate them, and so they break down if they know you hate them. So the computer this is my hates theory. you enough it's, to it's actually work yeah, just to prove artificial you wrong. Intelligence. Yeah, artificial intelligence in there. They know what they're doing. <laughs> I'm just full of conspiracy theories. Okay, my dear. Well, it was lovely talking to you. That's great. Thank you very much. You have a wonderful night, and we're looking right, forward love. to seeing the play. Oh, thanks a lot. See you. Thanks. Bye. Bye. And thank you very much uh, to Marina there and to James earlier on in the show. We hope uh, – sorry, James, to Andrew earlier on in the show – Obviously, James, very much in my thoughts. We hope you enjoyed this week's show. We want to thank Marina very much for giving that message to James uh, for a speedy recovery, as we all wish him here. We're going to be back next week with our catch-up on Discovery. With It's going to be me and Ambassador Nicola, and hopefully the guys will be back with us soon. But for now, thank you very much for listening. I've been Dr. Swee. Thank you for trekking with us this week. Join us next week 
for the retrick.